Uh, God, we acknowledge this morning that there is nothing better than you in all the earth. Uh, Help us to believe uh, that truth when we don't uh, feel it, even when we don't uh, believe it, Lord. I pray that you would pour faith uh, into our hearts. Lord, thanks for the great joy that we have to gather and to celebrate uh, what you've done and what you're doing in the hearts and lives of your people. Uh, We give you thanks for the good work that you did uh, this past week in uh, the hearts of our students, our sons, and our daughters. Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir in them an affection for you, help them to care about the things that you care about and love the things that you love. Lord, I pray that uh, that they would spend all of their days walking with you and living for you. God, thanks for your living and active word. Thank you for how you use it to form and shape us, uh, to challenge us and to change us. Uh, I pray this morning that you would work uh, to that end. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place a little different than when we came. God, thank you so much for loving us and taking good care of us. Uh, We love you back, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I trust you are well this morning, Christ Point. It's so good to see you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We continue, continue walking through the Sermon on the Mount The Sermon on the Mount was a message delivered by Jesus uh, to followers and to those uh, who were listening in uh, as he spoke about life in his kingdom. What does it look like uh, to live a life with Jesus uh, as our king? Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Uh, For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Author John Ortberg writes about the power of that kind of prayer in his book, The Life That You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. Um, I don't know about you, but when I uh, come across a book that says ordinary in the title, ordinary people, I think, well, I fall under that category. And so I love this book by John Ortberg about the spiritual life. Uh, He writes about this powerful story of prayer. It comes uh, from Pastor Tony Campola. A prayer meeting was held for him just before he spoke at a Pentecostal college chapel service. Eight men took Tony to a back room of the chapel, had him kneel, laid their hands on his head, and began to pray. That's a good thing, Tony wrote, except they prayed a long time. And the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on his head. 
Tony writes, I want to tell you when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. To make matters worse, one of the men was not even praying for Tony. He went on praying for somebody named Charlie Stolfus. Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. Tony said he wanted to inform the prayer that it was not necessary to furnish God with directional material. Lord, Charlie said this morning that he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in and do something, God. Bring that family back together. Tony writes that he finally got the Pentecostal preachers off his head, delivered his message, and began to drive home. As he drove on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he noticed a hitchhiker. I'll let him tell the story from here. Tony writes, we drove a few minutes and I said, hi, my name's Tony Campola. What's your name? And he said, my name is Charlie Stolfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the Turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that and after a few minutes said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? And he looked at the man and said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked why. And I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? And that blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With all the shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. Then I really did him in as I drove right to a silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know that I lived here? I said, God told me, because I believe that God did tell me. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk to you, and you two are going to listen. And man, did they listen. That afternoon... I led those two young people to Jesus. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I love that story. I love, I love that verse. It's, it's faith building. It, it makes me want to shout yes and amen. Amen. We pray, and God answers. We share what's on our hearts, and He replies with a resounding yes. Seems pretty easy, doesn't it? We ask, it's given. We seek, oh, there it is. We knock, and the door is open. If we were to go around this morning and share our unbelievable, almost too good to be true prayer stories, I'm sure that we will be mutually edified. We would sit back and go, no way. God did what? Tell me more. I was sick. I prayed and God healed me. I was lost. He was lost. She was lost. I prayed and he was found. She left and I prayed and she came home. I had nothing. 
I had nothing. And I prayed, and there was something. We, I'm sure, would be mutually edified and amazed. And, and some of us might sit back and say, yeah, yeah, ask, seek, knock. I tried that once, and I'm still waiting. Oftentimes, when we come to a passage like this, we don't know exactly what to do. And the, and the reason that we don't quite know exactly what to do is probably because uh, we've lived enough life uh, to know that there are times when we have asked, we've sought, we seek, and we knock, and, and things haven't played out uh, quite the way that we have wanted them to. And so on one hand, for some of us, maybe for many of us, we hear these words of Jesus, and, and we're quite honestly a, a little bit skeptical because we, we want to believe that that is true. We want to believe that it's that easy. And then, and then life happens, and it's not always that easy. And yet, um, Jesus spoke to a crowd on a hillside one day. And this is what he said. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus invites the crowd, he invites his followers to be persistent and expectant in prayer. Be persistent and be expectant in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Those three little words are emphatic and they are written in the present tense, which may seem insignificant except for the fact because they are written in the present tense, it means that this action is an ongoing action. Meaning, it's something that we don't simply do once and then forget about it. It's something that we do again and again and again. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Do you ever want to give up in your prayer life? Do you ever ask for something once or twice or a hundred times and think to yourself, I think that'll about do it. God and I, we've talked about it. He knows. I've shared my heart. Apparently, I've been given my answer. But Jesus says to his followers, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. There is this call for us in our prayer lives to be persistent in prayer. 
And listen, it's not just here in Matthew chapter 7. We read about this all throughout the pages of Scripture. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Colossians 4.2, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving God thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Chronicles 16.11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. If you are here this morning and you feel like you've prayed enough about something, I don't know what that something is for you, but if you think to yourself, God and I have already covered this, He knows. He knows. I'm not going to bother him. I would like to invite you to bother him. Keep on asking. Keep on uh, seeking. Keep on knocking. When, When there is something that you are desperate for, when there's something that you need, more often than not, you do not stop until you get it. Uh, Last Monday, I lost my wallet. I was at the grocery store. I wanted to stop by and pick something up before a meeting. I parked the car. I walked out of the car, started walking. Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's. God bless Trader Joe's. I do one of these things, and my wallet's not there. And I think to myself, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that's not good. I thought, it's going to be tough to buy what I need without my wallet. And so I go back to the car, I look in the door, open up the center console, and it's not there. I thought, well, maybe maybe I put it in my backpack and left it there. And so I unzip my backpack, and it's not there. And I thought, I can't believe I left my wallet at home. You ever do that before? I go to my meeting. After my meeting, I head home. There's a couple strategic places in our house where I put my wallet, if you're ever interested in breaking in. Uh, On the bar in the kitchen, sometimes I'll set my wallet there where the keys go. Uh, there's, uh, There's a mailbox that we have on the other counter. Occasionally, I'll drop my wallet there. Once in a while, I'll put it on the nightstand next to the bed so I can grab it in the morning. If it's not there, more than likely, it's on the counter in the bathroom. Right? So just those handful of places. And so I walk in and I go to the kitchen counter, the bar area, to see if my wallet's there. And sure enough, it's not there. I look by the mail, not there. I go upstairs and look on the nightstand next to the bed, it's not there. And I thought, surely it has to be on the bathroom counter. And so I walk into the bathroom and you guessed it, it's not there. And I thought, James, you're so foolish. This whole time, It was probably in the car, and you just didn't see it. Melissa tells me often that I have man eyes, and so there's times when it's right in front of me, and I don't see it. And so I go back to the car. I march to the car. I open up the center console, and look, it's not there. I check in the door. It's not there. I check in my backpack. It's not there. And I'm like, it probably dropped in between the seats. 
and so I pull back the seat from the center console, and it's not there. I pull out my phone, and I turn on my flashlight, and I go, oh, it's on now, wallet. It's on now. I'm going to find you. And I look underneath uh, the seats in my car, but it is not there. And I walk inside, and I think, huh, where is my wallet? At this time, I'm like a two or a three on the freaking out scale. Like, I'm still like, it's okay. It's going to be, I'm going to find it. This has happened uh, before. And so I decide to repeat uh, everything that I just did because I've been told I have man eyes. And so that's exactly what I did. Uh, but the same results the second time as the first time. I looked everywhere for my wallet and I couldn't find it. And so I did what Melissa taught me to do a number of years ago. She said, James, I had a roommate in college. She used to lose stuff all the time. And when she lost stuff, she just prayed the loser's prayer. And I said, Melissa, tell me about the loser's prayer. And she said, the loser's prayer is when you cry out to the Lord, Lord, I've lost something and I need help finding it. And so that's exactly what I did. I prayed the loser's prayer and I'm like, Lord, it's me again. You know this already, but I can't find my wallet, and I could use your help. And so I backtracked, and I did everything that I did the first time and the second time, and I did it again the third time, and I still couldn't find it. Um, at this point, my anxiety level has gone from like a two or a three to like an eight, nine, nine and a half. I'm thinking about the person that stole my wallet, right? He's at Walmart right now buying stuff. If he's splurging, he's at the gas station, right, and he's just pumping like $5 tanks of gas in there without any rhyme or reason. I'm, I'm praying prayers against this man who took my wallet. I'm like, Lord, I don't know why this man took my wallet, but my credit cards are in there and my church credit card is in there. God, he's stealing from you. He's not just stealing from me. Lord, find him. Find him and deal with him. I looked all over for uh, my wallet and then it occurred to me. I had worked out that morning. I had on a sweatshirt, hooded sweatshirt. And I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder if I put that sweatshirt in the dirty clothes. You see, I was wearing a sweatshirt that was the exact same kind but a different color. And so in my mind, I was thinking, I wore this this morning. It couldn't be here. But sure enough, when I started pulling out dirty clothes, there was my wallet. Yeah, yay, amen. Yes and amen. Like, give God thanks. Yes. Listen, when, when, when you lose something of great value. You're going to go to great lengths to find it. Ask, seek, knock. I don't know what it is this morning you're asking for or about. I don't know what you're seeking. I don't know what you're knocking for, uh, but don't give up. Be persistent. Why? Our text tells us, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Why do we ask, seek, and knock? Because apparently it makes a difference. Apparently when we ask, we receive. And when we seek, we find. And when we knock, uh, the door is opened. But again, I read that and I have questions. Because in my mind, I can think of a time or two when, when I have seemingly done this 
And I, I think my motives are pure. I think my, my longings and my desires are good. And I am asking and I'm seeking and I'm knocking. And it can feel like uh, I'm not getting the response that I, that I want. One of the dangers of, of grabbing a, a verse from the Bible, kind of plucking it out and tucking it away, and maybe grabbing a verse over here and sort of tucking it away, is we grab a verse or maybe two and we put them together and we think that is my theology of Fill in the blank. That's my theology of prayer. So it says, ask, seek, knock. That's what it says. I couple that with Matthew 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. That's a good one. It's in the Bible. It's in there, Matthew 21, 22. And I take these, these two passages that are true and I couple them uh, t- together and I think, well, that's how it works. Right? I mean, that's what it, that's what it says. Ask, seek, knock. Uh, but, but do it in faith. If you do it in faith, you will receive. What's, what's the, the, the problem with that? Well, the problem is that's not a good theology of prayer. And the problem can be just life. When someone is experiencing crisis, when someone is is going through hardship or heartbreak, when someone has lost someone uh, they love, or, or their kids have left and they haven't come home, be careful about the advice that you're quick to share. I've I've heard uh, one too many stories of of folks who have have walked through difficult and dark times and and have had someone come alongside of them uh, to play the role of Job's counselor uh, to say, well, it... It says if you ask in faith, you'll get it. And you don't have it. Uh, Christ point, uh, don't do that. Do not do that. Uh, That's not what it's saying. And and Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock, and to do it again and again and again. 
this is written in such a way that it's almost as if there's this expectation that the God of the universe is actually going to answer our prayers. I mean, Jesus could have said ask, but it's likely a no. Seek, but on most days I'm tough to get a hold of. Knock, but I have the ring doorbell and I ain't coming to the front door. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He encourages his kids to come to him and let their request be known. He says, be persistent in prayer, and secondly, be expectant in prayer. Look at verse 9. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, I will give him a serpent. Which of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he's using an illustration that they would have understood. Even if they didn't have children, they, they could have connected the dots and gone, well, we, we, we get this, right? You, you can picture this. There's a, a little hungry child, a little hungry boy that comes up to his mom or dad, Maybe it's lunchtime, maybe it's dinner time, maybe he's been running around all day, maybe he's been studying, uh, maybe the family doesn't have a lot to eat or a lot of food at their disposal, and he comes to his father with a basic request. He says, Dad, Mom, like, will you please give me a piece of bread? Can't, can't you see that in your mind's eye? Can't you picture it? Imagine a father who listens to his little son or his little daughter. Just imagine for a moment him bending down a little bit and getting on their level and going, oh, buddy, oh, buddy, I can tell that you're really hungry. Is your stomach hurt? Is your stomach growling? I get, I get a little hangry when I get hungry. Are you a little hangry? Oh, you are? You want, you want some bread? Oh, okay, buddy, let me... I got something for you. Here it is. Who, who would, like, who would do that? Like, like, what mom or what dad would be approached by their son or by their daughter in, in their hunger and say, would you please give me something to eat? Only to have their mother or father pull out a stone. I mean, can you imagine that son or daughter asking for a fish and mom or dad pulling out a serpent? I didn't want to use that as a sermon illustration for obvious reasons. We're not like, when I didn't want to go there. But, but like you, you think to yourself, like, there's no way, like no, no parent would do that. No parent would do that. So, so Jesus continues. Listen to what he says in verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is making an argument from the lesser uh, to the greater. Right? He's essentially painting a picture to the crowd of going, if your son or daughter came to you for bread, you would give him or her bread, would you not? And the crowd would go, well, yeah, of course, 100%. And then Jesus says to them, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your Father in heaven? How much more will he lavish or give good gifts uh, to his children? 
I re- sometimes I read the words of Jesus and I think to myself, I don't know if these would play well in our culture. <laughs> I don't know if looking at the masses and going, well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking, I mean, you guys are evil. And so, like, like, what? <laughs> well, there. But, I mean, that, that's what Jesus says. This is, this is not likely going to be the theme for a Mother's Day message, by the way. Right? We're not going to pass out carnations, a little note that reads to all the evil mothers out there. We're not doing donuts for dads on Father's Day and saying the only thing worse than carbs and sugar is you. <laughs> right? we're, we're not, we're not going to do that. But listen... Jesus is a truth teller, and, uh, and he's a straight shooter. And in Christ, we are saints, we are loved, uh, we've, we've been given a new identity, we are, because of Jesus, holy. All of those things are true. And in and of ourselves, we are, we're lovers of self. We naturally turn inward, we're self-protective, we're selfish. And, and even in our brokenness, we know how to give good gifts to our children. And Jesus is saying, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, if you delight in meeting their needs, how much more your Father in heaven. Jesus is speaking to the crowd about the character of God. Jesus is looking out at those who hear his words and he is reminding them that you have a Father in heaven who is good and he is gracious and he is kind and he is merciful. He is a good, good Father. He is a good God. And if you know what it's like, to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven, who is perfect, perfectly good, how much more will he give you good gifts? Jesus is drawing the attention of the hearer to the beauty and the goodness of our Father in heaven. He is reminding us of God's good character. Because when you know someone's character, right, it changes the way that you approach them. If you know someone is harsh, and standoffish and is cruel, then more often than not, you're going to pull back and you're going to pull away. But if you know someone is gracious and good and kind and merciful, more often than not, you are going to be tempted to lean in. And God wants his children to lean in. I love what author and pastor John Piper writes. He says this, When you pause to consider that God is infinitely strong, and can do all that he pleases, and that he is infinitely righteous, so that he only does what is right, and that he is infinitely good, so that everything he does is perfectly good, and that he is infinitely wise, so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good, and that he is infinitely loving, so that all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as high as it can be raised. When you pause to consider this, 
than the lavish invitation of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful. (laughs) That is good stuff. Old reformer Martin Luther wrote, he knows that we are timid and shy and that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and that we are so tiny that we do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts to remove our doubts and to go ahead confidently and boldly. I want to encourage us, church, to go confidently and boldly before the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ask, seek, knock, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I read this the other week and I thought to myself, James, what are, what are you asking were you asking God for how are you seeking Him uh, when you are knocking before the Lord and you want Him to come and open the door? What are you, what are you praying about? A few things come uh, to mind. I think about six and a half acres over my right shoulder, your left, that were purchased last year. I think about this desire Uh, that that we have for a permanent home. And I think about an inability that I have or that that we have uh, to orchestrate the pieces in such a way that it works. Only God can do that. Only God. We are, as they say, in over our skis. Right, so we're, we're asking God for, for bold and crazy things. Listen, there's no earthly reason that we should even be proud owners of that property. There's not. If, if you know the story, only God. And so I, <laughs> Lord, it's me again. Want that to be a tool that God uses to enable us to point people to Him. That's why we exist as a church. It's a tool. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's just a tool. But I'm, I'm praying for that. I, I pray... Gosh, I, uh, when when uh, on Thursday nights, I have an opportunity to be down at 1-7, and I get to shout at, you know, like... I don't know, 50, 60 soccer players for like five to 10 minutes without getting in trouble. And uh, I, don't, I don't know where everyone is as best as I can tell. A, a number of those young men do not know the Lord. Right? And so like that's, a, that's like I'm praying to God that he would show up. I'm going, God, like by your spirit, like the wind in my sails, like take this implanted word and make it come alive in the hearts of these boys. Help them go from apathetic and uninterested in the things of God uh, to lovers of Jesus. God, make it so. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. 
Sunday morning when I come up here and I stand before, before you, this is my prayer. I, I pray about this. I think to myself, Lord, we're, we're talking about prayer. God, I want us to be a people who ask, seek, and knock. I just, I wanted to mark our lives. I want our first inclination to be, we should probably pray about that. And then after we've prayed about it, I want us to go, you know what, let's pray about that some more. Like, I just want that to mark our lives. And I come here and I know, like, I'm one, one dude, and I know better than you do my own limitations and my own shortcomings. And so I come with my imperfections, and I'm like, Lord, you got to do something. Because I'm not smart enough or talented enough or funny enough to pull this off. So take your living and active word and implant it in the hearts of your people and change them uh, forever. I pray about that. I pray for, for a place, space. I, I pray that God's spirit would move when we hear and come to uh, his word. And, and don't miss this because I think this is so important with the Sermon on the Mount, the, the context of our ask, seek, and knock isn't just so that God will give us stuff. God cares about us. He cares about you. He cares about your job and your relationship and your finances. He cares about all of those things. And, and he cares about the person that you and I are becoming. Which means when I ask, seek, and knock, and I come to the Sermon on the Mount, I pray, God, make us poor and spirit. God, remind us of our poverty apart from you. God, give us pure hearts. Give us, change our hearts. God, we can be so selfish. Would you please help us? God, help us to trust in you. Not things, not stuff. Help us to trust in you. Help us to be a people of compassion. Help us to live lives of integrity. Give us non-judgmental spirits. Like, forgive us of our arrogance, God. Help us not to be judges. Help us to love our enemies, people who don't see things the same way that we see them. God, you've got to do that. We don't naturally work that way. So help us, Lord. God, help us to be generous. Help us not to invest in things that will not last. Give us heavenward mindsets. Help us to long for eternal investment. Give us non-anxious hearts. We just talked about, like, we're just, like, we're just prone to war. Like, change us. And so, Christ, I want to I encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to, to ask and to seek and to knock. And for as long as you have breath, do not stop. And God, by his grace, will allow us to become the people that he has called us to be. Uh, may it be so. May it be so. Would you pray with me?